Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sambacel Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful rest of their weekend. A lot of stuff that I want to get into. I'm going to be talking about the first reviews and final trailer for Christopher Nolan's Tenet, plus a recap of what happened at the box office this weekend and more. But the first thing that I do want to get into is recap the big event of the weekend that took place specifically on Saturday, and that is, of course, the DC Fandom. And first off, guys, I just want to say thank you for listening in on Saturday. I did three recaps of some of the or a lot of the panels regarding DC fandom. I did one with Wonder Woman 1984 and The Flash. I did one with the the Suicide Squad. And and then I did one with, with Aquaman and Black Adam and Shazam and, of course, the Batman. So if you want to talk about and see and hear about what I had to think about those panels in general and hear more of an in-depth about what was brought to what was talked about, what was revealed, the trailers. Those are the the additions and the episodes that you want to go to on the Sam Bissell podcast. And if you did listen, thank you so much for doing that. And if you haven't yet, and if you want to hear a lot more of my in-depth thoughts about those panels and what went on, be sure to check out those ones. But this is going to be more of a general recap of DC Fandom. And I'm going to give my overall thoughts of, of what I thought about it in general. And I talked about it a little bit on Saturday before I signed off after the Batman panel. Panel, which capped off the the main schedule highlights of the DC fandom, which was dubbed the Hall of Heroes. And then after the nine o'clock hour here in the East Coast time, it ran for the remaining 12 to 16 hours on a loop throughout the rest on, on from Saturday to Sunday, which encapsulated 24 hours. So really it was from that here on the East Coast from one o'clock to nine o'clock throughout. And that was really where we got a lot of the new stuff. Everything else was really just a repeat of what we were going to get and then they have a second half which is going to explore the multiverse which will be about the the tv shows like batwoman and superman and lois and black lightning legends of tomorrow and the comics and a lot more of the fan interactions will be happening on september 13th saturday and so just overall with this hall of heroes i thought it was a great saturday afternoon for me i mean it was jam-packed from beginning to end some highs and lows with the panels themselves but i think when you look at them overall i think they were very interactive i think they kept a lot of people engaged with the everyone that was there everyone was excited to be there from the cast to the directors to the moderators were giving some good questions and and the fans were asking some good questions some of them were very simplistic but i just think again the interactions between everyone was very very well done and it really did feel like a hall age panel one that was scheduled out from beginning to end where there was just a lot of information that was thrown at you and that's what people love they want to hear questions and want to hear about the cast and the director's experience on these movies and and what they can give in terms of information while also seeing some new footage or if it's something like the flash or shazam a new title or concept art and really just kind of give us something to really kind of sink our teeth into and i think this is the best, or Saturday was the best day for DC in my mind since they announced Batman v Superman at Hall H in 2015, where they really stole the thunder away from what Marvel did. And Marvel announced a big project of theirs with Avengers: Age of Ultron, but when you when they announced BVS, that just 
ignited the 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 fandom of comic book fans in in its entirety and i think from then on out it never really had that same kind of umph even if they had hall h panels for wonder woman which i didn't i wasn't at but i heard cool stuff about it they delivered some great footage that the world the rest of the world was able to see and they had stuff for bvs in terms of a year before they actually put it in theaters and then they had aquaman and justice league but nothing where you would announce a lot of stuff and show exclusive first look material the way that i think they did when they announced bvs in 2015 and they brought the thunder with dc fandom again some great surprises that came along as well talking about the flash panel and kind of confirming that at least even though they didn't confirm ben affleck was there because it sounds like all the, the recording stuff for the flash happened way before that they were able to bring ben affleck on for this movie but we saw concept art for my Keaton's the Batman so that was a cool reveal seeing that Simbad was going to be a part of Shazam getting the title that was cool and then kind of hearing that the Justice Society of America is going to be a part of Black Adam that was a really cool reveal that I think got a lot of people that know the comic books really really excited of, of what's to come in, in those live action films and then of course I think when, when this is titled DC Fan it's about the fans fandom they, they I think they did a really great job of also showcasing a lot of, of fan art and kind of the what people really find meaningful about DC and, and the love they have for it showing off tattoo artists and, and the art that people in encase in, in their love for these comic book characters and then of course actual drawings and paintings there was one on the Wonder Woman 1984 panel that I thought was really cool in which towards the end of the segment they really kind of talked about the the drawings that a lot of people had an inspiration for Wonder Woman so I think just kind of showcasing a lot of drawings a lot of these things that fans really bring to the table and fans love about these characters was really incredible and it all comes from comic books so to see people become artists because of their love for all of these different superhero characters is was incredible so i thought everything was just handled really really well and to go off the case of when we talk about marvel and dc people always want to make the comparisons between the two of them and i guess you always can find a love between them i know there's people that side more with dc that side more with marvel and there will be a never-ending ending war of conversation between those two comic book fractions but for me i'm a fan of both of them i love dc comics i love dc characters and i love marvel characters and i love what the mcu has done in terms of the the universe that has created the kind of singular storyline that that was adapted and was kind of cultivated in endgame and the singular direction that they have under the leadership of kevin feige over at marvel studios and then to kind of see what dc has been up to right now and after the kind of tumultuous time that they had between 2015, 2016, 2017 with BVS, Suicide Squad, and Justice League, it seems like DC under new leadership has found a brand new direction and with Aquaman and Wonder Woman, Shazam, even Birds of Prey, and the stuff that they announce further down the line, they seem to really be focused on singular stories and these singular worlds and really just kind of going movie by movie, not thinking about something 
ahead of the ahead of the line and really kind of saying to themselves that you know what if something does come up down the line that we think can be a good combination then we'll go ahead with that story if somebody comes up with a really good idea for it so i think they're going more towards the the creators kind of like what marvel's doing in a way too where that's more of showcase you can do what you want to do within the workings of the drawing but just make sure that you have the outline for where we need to go in terms of the story whereas with dc it seems like it's they don't really need to connect just focus on your own storylines focus on the movie that you want to make and i think with DC Fandom, they really laid down the direction for where they want to go down the line. There's that panel where they talked about the multiverse. It was 101 multiverse that it was called. And to kind of to, to kind of hear Walter Hermada, who's the president of DC Films, the producer of the, the Arrowverse, and Jim Lee, who if there's a star out of this whole entire thing, it's Jim Lee from what he is able to do as an artist, as a drawer, but how he was able to just come up with this entire virtual world. And, and I want to deviate away from what I was talking about the multiverse for a little bit, talking about Jim Lee. The virtual world that he created was remarkable. It, it was really kind of, you felt like you were really a part of this virtual convention that was going on. And one of the things that I think it makes vastly different from the San Diego comic guy at home, which again, you commend San Diego and and Comic-Con for trying to do something, but that definitely felt like a, a Zoom call, a Zoom meetup with all these people, whereas the, the, the fandom really added another layer to what was going on, and it, you, they were able to cut away to different scenes of movies and TV shows and cut away to fans and, and, and were able to have moderators that were, were green screened in, but it felt like they were actually there inside the dome and they just felt like another layer added layer to this virtual convention that was going on. So all the props to Jim Lee for how he was able to come up with this. And there was a really cool panel and talked about how Jim Lee created the the layers and, and how it was first formatted from 2D drawings, like creating art and comics to this 3D world that was from his mind. So it's just absolutely incredible how they were able to pull it off. But going back to the, to the multiverse panel, and talking about how DC and their new direction seems like they're more focused on the multiverse and that they're really kind of pulling it out where they can focus on all these characters and not have to worry really about continuity where you're asking yourself, well, is Joaquin Phoenix's Joker really a part of this world? And, and, and how is he connected to the Robert Pattinson Batman and the Ben Affleck Batman? And how is he part of all this? But they basically kind of say that, look, he's in his own world. He's a part of another universe that has nothing to to do with these other things that we are working on same thing and they gave a great they gave this example of the year two batman is its own universe entirely whereas the it's the earth prime of of the name specifically gal gadot as wonder woman ezra miller's flash jason momoa's aquaman and those main primary justice league characters that we know from the 2017 movie and i think when we look at what they're trying to do in terms of what happened in crisis on infinite earths with the two flashes meeting up that was a really big moment because you were able to cross over Ezra Miller's Flash from the movie universe and Grant Gustin's universe of TV and at least acknowledge that these universes exist within the multiverse and that you can cross over with the movies and TV shows down the line if the opportunity arose. And that's the thing is, again, talking about they're just looking at making really good movies individually. And if good ideas come up down the line, they will they will go with them. They're not going to shoehorn something in. They're going to wait for something to maturate, to develop 
develop and really just kind of if someone creates something that is a great idea for a movie and a great crossover, they'll come up with that if something comes down the road. And it seems like with The Flash, they have that opportunity right now when you're talking about having Michael Keaton's Batman from the Burtonverse come in and then Ben Affleck come back aboard as well. You're able to kind of, if you have an idea, then they're willing to go for it. So I think seeing the vision of what DC is going for down the line, I think it was well fleshed out in that panel and with DC fandom that this is what we're going to be doing now. It's going to be more filmmaker-oriented, more more film-oriented. It's not going to be this singular vision that's happening right now. And and it's it, we've always asked about kind of where do the where's the Kevin Feige of the DCU and we can say Walter Hermata is that person right now we can say that Greg Berlanti who is the TV person is that person or Jim Lee but it seems like they have a team working together to do that which is perfect as well you you can have a team working together on this and as long as they work together and have some kind of vision together that's the best thing you can ask for is as long as they have some kind of vision of where they all want to go and and what they want to do moving forward that it doesn't have to be a a actual plot line or storyline moving forward where all these characters connect with one another but you know at least that they all exist within the same multiverse and i think that is what's is important and i think that it was really elaborated on in this dc fandom and i think it's it's going to be brought up and it has already been brought up on twitter that i've been seeing and all around the internet is the fact of where does conventions go from here and, and i i don't think in in this even with all the success of dc fandom can't replace the live aspects with the crowd and and j- just that aspect that i've seen on videos it can't replace what happens at, at hall agency Diego Comic Con, or even at some place like D23, you can't replace the kind of 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 memories that you make at conventions like that. But I think something can be said about the fact that maybe this can be an opportunity down the line for if you want to mix certain things up or if maybe DC wants to have its own unique panel, kind of like D23 or what Marvel famously did in 2015 or rather 2014 in October at the El Capitan Theater where they unveiled their original Phase 3 plans that changed down the line. But that was a big event of kind of Marvel knowing that we can do our own things and we can unveil ourselves without having to be linked to San Diego Comic-Con. And maybe going down the line, DC fandom and DC say, you know what? We can do our own thing. We can take a chunk out of out of a whole day and really kind of be the center of attention, which they were on Saturday. The, the entire day and even yesterday on Sunday was really all talked about uh, about DC. And even uh, I was watching a clip of Good Morning America this morning where during the pop news segment, the DC trailers of the Batman and Wonder Woman 1984 were the main focus. So DC is really the main headline at this current moment in time, which is, I think, what Warner Brothers wanted to happen what dc wanted to happen and they succeeded in that fashion and i think going forward you can say to yourselves well can we have our own day or can we have a whole weekend to ourselves and i think again going to the fact about splitting up the two conventions together and kind of what they wanted to do where they were going to have this u versus this inverse where they were going to have tv panels and comic panels all mixed in and you can go between different areas during the 24 hours 
I think it was a smart idea that they split it up. Again, I wish they did it a few days before the Hall of Heroes is supposed to happen, but it was a smart idea that the Hall of Heroes, where it has all the movie reveals and some TV panels and some comic panels, it was all done in one day where you just had that to worry about. You didn't have to go and worry about, am I going to be able to make this panel or that panel? You were able just to kind of wait at the Hall of Heroes and not go anywhere else and just kind of experience that whole schedule and not worry about anything else. And it kind of just reverted all the attention to those panels and not anything else, which is a big plus because you have all your eyes on each and every one of those panels giving out all the details. So I think the splitting up worked well and again, I just wish that it was more in line of giving people more of a heads up. Maybe you can make that decision a week or so ago, unless they really didn't make those decisions in the last few days. But I still think it could have been done a week or two, giving them a heads up and then go forward with those plans. But in the end, it, it did work out for them that the that Hall of Heroes was the Hall H. It was the main panel. And I think they're seeing the brunt of that success over the last few days preceding DC fandom being let out of after it's 24 hours and i do have to say the gift shop stuff was pretty cool i actually bought myself a uh, a batman shirt which had the batman logo it was a black shirt it was really cool only 26 dollars 32 when you account for the shipping fee that they put in there so not a bad price i think especially when you think about some conventions that are very very pricey with their stuff it, it was some good prices on the on the shirts that came out some really cool styles I really did enjoy that. And again, I think it was just a great overall day that came about. And the fact that it was free and, and everyone could be a part of it. And also the fact that it was worldwide. And in the beginning, when Aisha Taylor, who was the, the host of it all, but there were other moderators that spoke in different languages and, and were different ethnicities and really kind of showed how worldwide impacted DC can be. And I think the panels demonstrated that, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, but it just kind of showcased that it's not just here in the United States. It's not just in Canada. It's not just in, in China. It's all around the world that DC comics, DC properties impact people everywhere. And so I think that was a, a major factor for them of showcasing that this worldwide had nine different languages that included English and the fact that it was also free and you question maybe if this thing does become something down the line, whether online or whether they decide that we can do this in person when it's safe to do so, do we have people pay for it? Which I think if you do have something in person, you will have to pay money for it. Or do they say, you know what, we got so much attention doing this thing in this virtual space. If we're able to do something more so live in and in person, but also virtual, maybe that's something they do down the line as well. So there's a lot of questions, some good questions to be asked about the future of this because of the big success that showcased with it. And from there, I, I want to talk about the, the panels. And, and I'm not going to go over all the panels. Again, you can find my recap and my in-depth analysis of those panels from Saturday. Again, I talked about every single movie, big movie panel that happened from Wonder Woman 1984, The Flash, The Suicide Squad, Black Adam, even Shazam, Aquaman, and of course, The Batman. But I'm going to be talking about my favorite panels of DC fandom. And I have my five that I really did enjoy. My one honorable mention that I, that I really 
liked, and that was the flash panel. I, I really thought, even though again it was ten minutes and coming into it, I did question the the shorter panels that were coming in, like how much are they really going to give? And that was the case for Aquaman and Shazam, where Aquaman that was more of just kind of a hangout and didn't really give anything that really didn't need to be there. That really was filler. Shazam gave us a, a title at least, and it seems like Sinbad is going to be a part of the cast for the sequel, but not a lot happened there. But with, with the Flash panel, I actually thought they really did give a lot of information going forward, especially from the director, Andy Muschietti, and his wife, Barbara Muschietti, who is one of the producers on all of his projects and will be one on The Flash, and Christina Hudson. I thought Ezra Miller doing the whole kind of the Flash facts, at first it was funny the first and second time, but then it got old. I just wanted to hear all this information that was being done from Andy Muschietti and the, the creators of this film, and they really gave some good information. They Again, the cool concept arts from showcasing a new Flash costume that's going to be apparent in the movie, and also that, that big one of the Flash working alongside what seems to be Michael Keaton's Batman. It has the, the Burton Batman insignia, the, Bat, the Batman costume from that era. It seems to be that world that the Flash is teaming up with Batman in, so that was really cool to hear how this really is going to be based off of the Flashpoint comic book line that we had a feeling this was going to be about and it's going to involve time travel and and different areas of the of the multiverse and that really the 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 birth of the DC film multiverse is going to be born from this Flash movie so there'll be ample opportunity moments that could arise that could help connect certain things from other films going along the way that says that acknowledges is that not not acknowledges excuse me acknowledges all these areas that we talk about like the patents and and some other worlds and introducing other multiverses as well so I think this is definitely, it seems like they have a grasp on this, and I'm excited about it. Then to go into my top five of my favorite panels that I really did enjoy from the the fandom, number five is going to be the Suicide Squad. And I know some people might be going crazy, the fact that that's number five for me. I know for a lot of people, that was their favorite panel from the fandom. They loved what James Gunn brought and what that panel was able just to have fun and, and kind of invoked probably what we're going to get with the film itself next year. And I have to say, the beginning of it, I enjoyed. I loved a lot of the panels that I really did love were ones where it was just a lot of of info dumps and the passion that you saw from the filmmakers talking about their love and their inspirations for making these movies. In the beginning of it, I thought really was strong the fact that James Gunn talks about how passionate he is about the Suicide Squad, what actual comics that he refers to for these, the, the additions that he goes into. And then the roll call of, of who each of these characters or actors are going to be playing, I thought was incredible. The designs are just James Gunn-esque in every single way, shape, and form. And especially the characters that he does bring in, like King Shark or or, 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 or Rat, I think his name's Weasel. I mean, that's only stuff that James Gunn would be able to actually do and be able to bring in and make just a ton of sense. But then getting into, into the whole trivia game thing, I thought that was cool for a little bit, but I just think I thought they did the best they could with it, considering that it was over Zoom and 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 they were able to kind of do that and make it feel live as possible. But it was fun at some points, but to me it was just kind of I got some cool facts from it, but it just didn't really land 
for me, that aspect of it. But again, I like the beginning and I liked when they talked about their characters, the roll call, and of course, the BTS sizzle reel that we got. I thought it was incredible and I really am excited for this movie. I'm excited to see what this is really going to be about and seeing that this is going to be James Gunn really at his best. He knows how to make blockbusters from his experience with Guardians and the MCU. So we're just going to get unadulterated just a fully unleashed James Gunn and I'm all for it and this really did jump on my list of anticipation of seeing this is real and again it's not the actual actual film footage an actual trailer but to see that BTS stuff it definitely gets me excited to see what we're gonna get so number five was the Suicide Squad panel for me number four is one that I talked about earlier and that is the multiverse panel the 101 that that came before the flash panel and again just kind of hearing from Walter Hamada, who I always heard about him re- here reading articles and and listening to videos. I heard about this guy. He sounded like a myth who I would never see. And then I finally saw him on screen talking to Jim Lee and Greg Berlanti, who, again, is the producer of the Arrowverse. And again, to hear the direction that they want to go in and that they all are working together. And it's not just one person, which we were wondering, is it just Walter Hamada? And and that's it. And he's going to bring us forward. And for the films, he's going to do that. But it's really a brain trust of people that are going forward with the comics, the TV shows and the films of showcasing these are the directions that we're going to move forward in with DC and kind of giving fans a vision of what the next few years are going to be like. So I really did enjoy that. And I love the fact that they talk about the the historic moment of the Crisis on Infinite Nerds and that meeting between Ezra Miller and Grant Gustin and their Flash characters and, and what it meant and what it means to be a part of the multiverse, explaining what the multiverse is and giving fans a rundown of it if they really didn't have a lot of ideas about it and tiffany smith who i absolutely love i've been following her for a long time she is a big dc fan she is involved with dc she's a dc moderator and host she does a lot of red carpets she did a phenomenal job with this panel as well so i really did enjoy what came out of this multiverse 101 panel and coming in at number three is Black Adam, which I had a lot of anticipation for, specifically because it does star Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And if you know anything about The Rock, he's a showman at heart, even from his days of wrestling to his movies nowadays. It's always about marketability. It's always about the hype. It's always about getting people interested in anything that he is a part of. And that's what he does best. And I loved the kind of again talking about the virtual fandom and the virtual and the virtual aspects of it and the settings of it the way that it was basically the rock and probably again a green screen background but to have it imposed in this jungle temple like setting was incredible and it was basically just him rattling off information about black adam and what and setting the scene of of where this character is what he is he's an anti-hero he and he even said that you can name a villain a hero an anti-hero whatever you want to name him he's that for you and he talked about how his past and where he's going to end up in and talking about these characters that are going to be a part of Black Adam and it really does seem like he has a passion for this which he talks about and again talking about these panels it's it's really about the people that are passionate about these characters and this material and you can tell 
Dwayne Johnson is passionate about this character as he as I mean I hope he is because the fact that he was cast in this role in 2014 and it's been years and we're finally finally going to get a film that as of right now is going to come out in 2021 but I wouldn't be surprised if it's pushed back another year or two just because of COVID-19 and the production and The Rock is such a jam-packed actor in terms of his schedule he has so much on his plate that I think he still has red notice to finish up so I think that's going to take him the rest of the year to do and it sounds like production will kick off in 2021 so I'm sure they're going to want to push it back another year or so for Black Adam but to hear that this really is coming down and this is is actually in development I think gets a lot of people excited and it was also the material that I thought really impressed me and is the fact that Kind of like what, what The Flash did where they had a concept art and a lot of movies and a lot of conventions, sometimes if they're not, if they don't have any footage to show, they'll do casting announcements and they'll do concept art. But I, I think what The Rock did and what the, 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 the team of Black Adam did was really original and really cool in which instead of just showing concept art, they played, they showed the concept art and made it kind of motion, a motion concept art as if it was an actual trailer and it basically showcased the the background of Black Adam and where he comes from and, and why he's doing what he's doing and then showcasing the Justice Society of America and how they're going to be a part of this film and showcasing the graphic art and making it seem like it's actually a, a part of the movie like it was an actual trailer but showed up with concept art which was gorgeous and beautiful and they teamed up with Boss Logic who I talked about on Saturday is the, the best of the best when it comes to this kind of stuff. He's well known in the industry if you go on instagram he has some incredible stuff that you can check out and so i just think it was a great showmanship like we knew the rock would do i just think he did an incredible job he officially announced noah centino as being the adam smasher and they seem like they have really good chemistry together so it's it just seems like a fun time and again the passion is there from dwayne johnson so i'm excited of what black adam is going to be and it jumped on my radar for what to anticipate going forward in the dc universe and then coming in at number two is a panel that a lot of people were looking forward to and I was really intrigued in and I loved how it came out and I, I was fighting between this and, and I can't believe I was fighting between this and the, the movie that the, the panel that did become my number one but I ended up this being my my number two panel and this was for a while my number one before the, the end of DC fandom happened which you all probably know what it's going to be but at number two is the, the Snyder Cut uh, of Justice League and Again, this is one that I was really looking forward to. I was looking forward to what Zack Snyder would re- reveal about his cut of Justice League and what he's going to restore in there and and seeing the footage for the first time. And I keep replaying the footage over and over again, and I get Hallelujah stuck in my head. And I think it was used very effectively, but I think this was just an incredible panel because it was what I had a feeling was going to be, and they pulled it off really well, which it was going to be about the fans, which I think this was a little tease of what the entire marketing campaign is really going to be, and that is kind of 
a, a an, an homage and a thank you to the fans. And it's going to be a very fan-interacted marketing campaign, I think, moving forward. Because it's not just Zack Snyder moving forward with this. It's the fans that made this possible. The release the Snyder Cut fans who were a part of this movement from the beginning when the film came out in 2017 and kept pushing to see what they thought was the full cut of what Zack Snyder's vision was that they didn't get to see in that theatrical cut that came out in November of 2017. And for this panel to kind of be a Q&A between Zack Snyder and the fans in which Snyder asked the fans questions and then the fans asked Snyder questions. And I thought it was pretty funny that we knew that there were gonna be some surprise guests on the panel, but the way that they used those surprise guests, I thought were pretty funny. They had Ben Affleck there, they had Henry Cavill, they had Ezra Miller, they had Gal Gadot, and they had Ray Fisher there and Patty Jenkins uh, give a little question as well, which I thought was really, really cool. Kind of that was I thought was a really big surprise. No Momoa, but Momoa wasn't there for the entire thing. Even for Aquaman, he wasn't there. But to see Ben Affleck there, I think, is a huge thing because even if he never plays Batman again, I think he really is into this movement in that he loves Zack. I think he made this thing with Zack knowing of where that vision was going to go and wants to see that vision fulfilled given everything that he's gone through. And I think, again, hearing the the fans and Zack Snyder talk to the fans was interesting. And, and I think, again, talking about this whole thing about DC fandom really being a worldwide event, the Snyder Cut is something that is worldwide and showcases the impact that Zack Snyder's films and specifically the DC films have really had on people and and even though a majority of them do divide a lot of fans BVS divided fans and critics same thing with Man of Steel there is a portion of fans out there that loved his movies and really are affected by his movies and feel inspired by his movies and the characters that he created in those movies and wanted to see that going forward. And they had somebody from China and then somebody in the U.S. talk about being a, a, a big proponent of the Snyder Cut and knowing that they knew that there was a, a better vision, uh, another vision that they knew wasn't Snyder's in 2017. And I just, I really love that. And again, I think it is a prelude for what we're going to get of this being a very fan-interacted kind of event. And I also think it's going to be kind of a, a, a homage to Zack Snyder in a way, because whatever you think about his movies, whether you love them or hate them, I'm somebody who's 50-50 on them. I like things about Man of Steel, and I like things about BVS more on the Ultimate Edition than the than the theatrical cut, which is a, not good at all. But when you watch the Ultimate Edition, there are some really good things to like about that film. And you really can't look at these characters and not thank Zack Snyder for what he did. And I think Gal Gadot did a great job in doing that because she didn't ask a question. She really just gave great thanks for what Zack Snyder did because even though I think now we associate Wonder Woman with Patty Jenkins and the chemistry they have together, it wasn't Patty Jenkins that uh, that casted Gal Gadot. It was Zack Snyder for BVS and carry over what he wanted to do in Justice League and the rest of the universe. Same thing with Momoa. Same thing with Affleck, with Henry Cavill. He casted these characters that we love so much. And what Momoa was able to do with Aquaman, Zack Snyder saw that. And so I think the cast realizes this and Gal Gadot did a great job of kind of 
uh, of thanking him for that and realizing that and showing that. And I'm not saying the other cast members don't realize that, but Gal Gadot put it out there. And I think she was an example of thanking him and realizing that I wouldn't be where I am today without you, Zach, and, and what you saw in me with this character. And I think we're going to see that a lot with the Snyder Cut moving forward again through its marketing campaign. And again, whether you agree with it or not, there is stuff that is that is from deleted scenes that is a lot darker that you saw in the trailers and is modified. But there is a lot of stuff that we saw in that trailer that is different, that is new. And we're still a year out from this happening that I think we're going to see more stuff and again this is a, a f- basically a four hour movie or with HBO Max is going to be four parts broken up into hour long segments of a, of a long story that we're going to get and so I think for for Zack Snyder I think this th- this was an incredible panel this was his time to shine and I think it was a really, really cool panel that was very fan interactive, that was kind of very cast member interactive as well. And I think we're going to see Zach's vision fully played out. And this is this really is for the fans. And, and, and that, that's what it's really going to come down to in the end. And so I'm excited about it. And, and, and again, I was more intrigued by what was going to happen with the Snyder Cut than anything else. But again, after watching that trailer it gets me honestly excited again to see the justice league and say you know what i want to see what this guy's vision is and and what we might have missed out on so the hallelujah worked and in my opinion i like that song rendition i thought in the beginning it was a little kind of eh but as a build up it it worked and so i'm really excited what we're going to get with this snyder cut and i loved the panel itself how fan interactive it was the surprises that we got along and getting a lot of information as well so I really did like the Snyder Cut panel, and for a while it was my number one event, a uh, panel of the event. But in came a few hours later the one that would knock everybody's socks off, and that was the Batman panel, which is my number one panel of the entire DC fandom, and brought down the house. And and to go into to some sports analogies real quick. What I loved what the DC fandom did is that they they scheduled everything at the exact times. They knew when to put everything in and and where to put everything. Wonder Woman 1984 to kind of kick things off. I I thought it was, I thought the panel itself was eh, it, it was eh. But the trailer was really good. But you establish the day with something that is going to be current. It's the next thing that is on the slate for DC to put out with Wonder Woman 1984. So people know to, what to expect, but and they know who to see. And you, you ju- you're just looking for that trailer, but it just it kicks things off the right way. And then you get a lot of the other stuff coming down the line. And then you get into your prime time slot. And this is where I want to put the sports analogies into, into play. Whenever you see Sunday Night Football or primetime NBA or Sunday night on, on MLB, the, the, the sports leagues and, and, and the stations, they always look for that, that one game that you can just focus on at, at the end at night that you're looking forward to. It has the headlines, it has the teams, it has the sexy names on there that you're really looking forward to that you can market and you can get people to watch that. And with DC... They knew that in their primetime slot, they had to have the Batman, that they scheduled it the right way. The Batman is that sexy pick. That is, it's, it's that sexy name in that everyone just loves Batman. Batman is the crown jewel 
of not just DC, but of Warner Brothers. When you think Warner Brothers, you think Batman. And the legacy that Batman has had, both good and bad, at that studio. And there was a lot of anticipation, a lot of questions riding into what this panel could have been. And you you wonder, sometimes those, sometimes the Sunday night games, Sunday night football games, they work. Sometimes they don't work. And you, you're always kind of wondering if, if this was the smart decision. And sometimes you have those entertaining games that take you into overtime and you're just thrilled for beginning to end. And that is exactly what the Batman brought, where it was just Matt Reeves with the moderator, Aisha Taylor, who brought it all home. And Matt Reeves was actually in the fandom itself, and I love that. And even though you could definitely see that they were in two separate areas where Matt Reeves was just kind of front and center, straight, staring to the camera. He was probably just looking at a screen at a camera, and, and you could tell Aisha Taylor was probably looking at a monitor that had the questions, that had Matt Reeves, and you could definitely tell that they weren't in the same room, but I thought they did a good job enough that it was very interactive in its sense. But what that panel was able to do was just envelop you into the vision and the ideas that Matt Reeves has for his take on the Batman. And I put it on Twitter and I saw a lot of other people say it as well that they could have listened to Matt Reeves talk for an hour about this Batman and talking about his vision and, and how it's going to be a gritty Batman, a, a more of a, 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 a new war detective story with this Batman, how it's going to be more realistic than what we got with Nolan's movies and talking about how this is going to be a very young Batman who's already Batman, but he's still trying to figure himself out and how people don't trust him. And so we got into the mindset of what Matt Reeves really wanted to do with this Batman. And, and again, it, the, the third minutes went by like it was nothing and I talked about this on, on Saturday night it, it, it flew by all of a sudden it was eight it was 8 30 and then all of a sudden the thing, next thing I knew it was 8 55 and I'm saying to myself we still haven't had a trailer yet and it's probably going to end with that so it just really kind of showed me how just in deep in I was along with Matt Reeves and I loved him as a director and the one thing that I really 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 loved about this idea of a new Batman movie is the fact that Matt Reeves was behind it because I love the Planet of the Apes movies. I love what he did with Dawn and War. And so to see him kind of work on this and know the visionary that he is, I am all for this. And then the trailer comes and blows everybody's socks off from that combat sequence to that seven feel and that that Chinatown, that, that exactly what Matt Reeves said, that 70s gritty crime thriller feel that we were looking for it feels like that and the fact that they only shot 20 to 30 percent and they still have 70 percent more to shoot because they were shut down due to covid in march that there's still a lot more to get into and we were not even we didn't even see a quarter of the movie of what they shot and they still have so much more to get to. So it was just an incredible panel. I love the, the, the red style of it. And especially I love the logo of the Batman. And I said I got a shirt of it. And I love how it, it has that mist look when the, the, the bat signia comes into focus. And it feels like a neo-noir. And I love that. I cannot wait to see that. And so the primetime slot worked for DC. They came in to close it out with a bang and boy. Boy, did they ever with their crown jewel of Batman. And so I'm excited for that. And again, my top five, and I just think overall DC fandom 
really left its mark and I think brings in a lot of questions moving forward of do more studios do stuff like this do a lot more comic conventions do things like this because it was the buzz from beginning to end the I don't even think basketball was a main focus on Twitter a lot from where I was and from where I was working DC fandom brought the house down it took over Saturday and didn't keep let go of its grip until 9 30 10 o'clock at night and it still kept going because it had the encores going on until one o'clock here eastern time the next day on sunday the 23rd so congratulations to everyone that was a part of this incredible experience i hope everyone enjoyed it as much as i did again there were some lows along the way again the, the zoom stuff again if when we can get if this keeps going and we can get some more live stuff going and we do online stuff and you can get people in the same room i think that'll work a lot better you could definitely see some of the cutting but overall it was just such an incredible experience one that everyone got to share who wanted to be a part of it i'm excited to see what happens with the the saturday edition on september 13th i don't know they have some stuff that they want to show but i don't know how it's going to be the same as what we experienced this past saturday i mean nothing will replicate that with what they can show on saturday on september 13th but Again, it was a great time. My top five panels, the Suicide Squad was number five. Multiverse 101 was number four. Three was Black Adam. Two was the Snyder Cut panel. And number one was the Batman panel. What did you guys love about the DC fandom? Did you like, what panel was was your favorite? And I did put out a Twitter poll this weekend after the the panels were over with, the the ones that were new. And a lot of you unanimously said the Batman was your favorite panel. And going in... The two biggest panels that people were really looking forward to was the Batman panel and the the Snyder Cut of Justice League panel. Those were the ones that people were really looking forward to seeing. And I think that's the stuff that's going to be really anticipating moving forward. So what else did you guys really enjoy about it? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And I'm moving on away from the DC universe right now. I want to move over to something that was talked about yesterday and something that is going to be impacted over the next few weeks in terms of movie going and that is the box office and and for the first time really since the beginning of march is a box office recap that i I get to finally have and it's not one that is is big but and a lot of these numbers aren't going to be big bombastic numbers that we would expect but any kind of numbers i think is going to be a positive moving forward for the industry as they try to get back into business in a covid world with these new regulations going forward where they have to have limited capacity and seats that they have to make sure that people are wearing masks and social distancing and so it'll be interesting to see what happens with a lot of these films moving forward and like i said the next two weeks are going to be critical for the rest of movie going of 2020 at least again until this year i think next year is another story entirely but for this year alone are we going to have theaters are studios going to push their films out of this year into 2021 if these next films don't work out again that goes for wonder woman 1984 even though it was talked about at the the the, the fandom panel patty jenkins didn't allude to the fact that this film was coming out on october 2nd she just said we want to put this out in the in in cinemas it's going to be on the biggest screens possible and the trailer also talked about it not only being in theaters not specifically saying 
October 3rd. So Warner Brothers, again, kind of doing what they did with Tenet early on, waiting to see what happens in these next few weeks. And that includes Warner Brothers with Tenet. The next few weeks are going to be crucial. If Tenet makes some good money, they would probably move forward with Wonder Woman 1984. And the same thing goes for Black Widow and Soul and No Time to Die and West Side Story and Dune and all these movies that are at least hanging on to the back half of 2020 in November and December. And so these next few weeks are going to be crucial with New Mutants and Tenet. But it all really started this weekend where we had one major film come out here in the U.S. as theaters finally reopened this past Thursday. And the film that since July 1st was going to be the film to bring back theaters finally fulfilled on that promise. And that was Solstice Studios' first feature film starring Russell Crowe unhinged and it made four million dollars at the u.s box office this weekend which again for if we were in covid less times that would kind of be what we would expect it to make and it would be a not so good opening for this first movie for studio but again we're in completely different times and four million dollars in around i think it was 1200 theaters opened up in about 40 to 44 states and that is counts for over the 1,000 theaters, and there's going to be another additional 1,000 theaters accumulating to over 2,000 theaters in the U.S. will be opened by this Friday. It, it, was, it was a good opening for Unhinged. At $4 million, the studio is hoping to make $33 million by the end of its run. They made a few million over in Canada. The Unhinged is leading in some other countries and territories around the world as well. So it's a good start for Unhinged that really wanted to kind of say, you know what? We have nothing to lose. We're probably not making a sequel of this movie. So why not put this out there, get the publicity of being that first movie that's going to be out in theaters. We have a star in Russell Crowe that people know at least. Let's put it out there and see what happens. And this movie hasn't been getting rave reviews. It's been getting eh, reviews. It has like 50, I believe, on Rotten Tomatoes. So nothing insane. They say it's a, a very 90s gory action film if we were living in that day and age again. So again, I think if, if this is a really good sign for the U.S. moving forward. But again, the next two weeks with a film like New Mutants, which I think even if we were getting COVID less times, was going to make okay money. But okay money in right now could be really good money. So we'll see what happens. And then, of course, even though Tenet is coming out worldwide this weekend, domestically, it's coming out here in the States on September 3rd. So again, these next few weeks are going to be very, very, very crucial. And something that is more of a positive for the worldwide box office, specifically China, is that the 800 made over $100 million in the last few days. And this is, again, goes to the fact that this really does bode well for Tenet in terms of the international release. And it might really have played well into the hands that Warner Brothers did say, you know what, we're going to go more on the line of shooting for this to be an international rollout first, because internationally, a lot of cinemas in China and Europe are have a handle on the virus more so than the United States. So let's have them get the movie first and then roll it out in the United States where it is eligible and according to state guidelines, okay for movie theaters to operate. And so I think for at least the worldwide box office, this really does well for Tenet because it shows that if people really want to go see a movie and according to people that saw the 800, they, they thought it was phenomenal. And 
and from what it sounds like, it sounds really interesting. It was all shot on IMAX cameras. It sounds like an incredible war epic. So I think for this movie, for the 800, it's it's, it's a shining example of in these unfortunate times, in these uns, on these these unlikely times, in these times that are very uncertain, people went out to the movies and even went out with all these guidelines in place and enjoyed the movies and went out for a movie that people really wanted to see. So if people really want to go see Tenet, especially internationally, people really, really want to go, then they'll go see the movie that they really want to go see and they will abide by the guidelines that are enforced. Wearing a mask, social distancing, sanitizing, washing your hands where you need to, making sure that everything is a lot more of a paperless transaction than beforehand. And I think, again, if we see that the way that things have been going for the rest of the world, that maybe one day the U.S. at least can get on that same level and is able to kind of have that success where if people keep going to the movies and this slow rollout is happening right now, then maybe either by this weekend for New Mutants or by next week on September 3rd when Tenet is released in certain states, then people might say, you know what? I've heard good things about people going to the movies. People haven't been getting sick from it. People are following the guidelines. The theaters are enforcing these guidelines. I really want to go see Tenet. I'll go in. I'll social distance. I'll do what I have to do. And, I, and, I, and I'll watch Tenet. So this could bode really well both internationally and here domestically for Tenet these next few weeks. And again, they're going to be crucial because again, not just for Warner Brothers, which could affect what happens with Wonder Woman in its October 2nd slot. If Tenet doesn't do even okay numbers for COVID terms and doesn't leg out that well when it doesn't really have a lot of competition in its way in September, then maybe they move Wonder Woman 1984 and it bodes well again for the rest of the movie going for 2020 in terms of everything in November and December. What do you guys think about these box office results? Do you think they are a good, a good okay start for what we need in the first weekend of theaters opening back up here in the United States? Let me know and leave your thoughts. And then speaking of Tenet, on Friday night on NBA, the NBA playoffs are going on right now, and on TNT, which is owned by Warner Media, the final trailer for Tenant was released along with the Travis Scott song for the movie called The Plan. And I put this out on Twitter, and I didn't watch it on NBA on TNT. I was on my computer, and when the song came out, and, and, the, and the footage came out, I was expecting maybe a minute, a minute and a half trailer kind of being like special footage, kind of like what happened. And this happens for, uh, for a lot of movies that are advertising on these networks. But what happened in uh, for the college football playoffs in January where Black Widow premiered special footage, and that was like a minute, minute and a half, just kind of some quick stuff to tease people with. But no, this is like a, th- this is over a three minute trailer. And and if you go on YouTube, it's titled Tenet, the final trailer. And it's not stuff that we have seen throughout the marketing. This is like brand new material that we're getting a week, two weeks away from Tenet being released. And it was played with the the Travis Scott song. And I have to say that the visuals for this movie are going to be phenomenal. I mean, they look extraordinary. The production design, the locale, the characters, they look amazing. However, I didn't really get a lot of stuff from the the plot of this movie. I, I got a little bit, but 
with the whole thing with inversion and time traveling, whatnot, it seems like it's going to be very, it seems very complicated. And the reviews talk about that, which I'll get into in a little bit. But with with Inception's final trailer, and I, and I remember this, and even though this is 10 years ago, the, the, the Inception trailers are always kind of like, well, what is this? This is stuff in dreams, and and it seems like it's going to be stuff that is kind of of, of, of dream, dreamlike states and, and invading dreams and, and robberies and what's Inception? What is that? And but the, the final trailer at least kind of gave a, an idea of what we're going to be doing with this of what this story is going to be, where these characters are, what kind of plot are the audience members going to be getting into with Inception. With Tenet, it, the plot is still a little convoluted where I really, I know some aspects where, okay, it seems like the, the secret agent has to avoid and prevent the, this post or this apocalyptic event that'll start a brand new world war and Kenneth Braun is the bad guy and it seems like Robert Pattinson and, and John David Washington are teaming up and it involves the world of espionage, which we all, if you know, if, if you've heard the plot and if you heard the log line for this movie, you know all that stuff already but i i didn't get anything else from this it just seemed like cool locations cool action and that's pretty much it and and these characters i really don't know a whole lot about and the one thing that i really got was like the last 30 minutes where it seems like people time travel from another area or another time period point in time where this uh, this uh, apocalyptic event this war is going on that's desolating everything and it felt very Terminator, especially Terminator 1, Terminator 2. It, it, I just, when I saw that the last 30 seconds of the trailer, it reminded me of that for some reason. And it, it, it was it was a good trailer. It, it dumped a lot of stuff at you for something that's two weeks away from coming out. But Warner Brothers usually does that. If you go back to a lot of the trailers that came out with, especially in 2015, 2016, they, they, they do a lot of dumping on their trailers of just kind of, flashing with a whole lot of images and stuff going on and i i don't know what what to make of this again i'm i'm excited for this movie this is my even before covid and even during the covid pandemic this is still my most anticipated film to still come out as of right now i i love christopher nolan i love his movies the dark knight and inception films that he made in the span of two to three years were are some are still some of my favorite films of all time and i love christopher nolan he's my favorite director as of right now I, any movie that he makes i am all for but the, the plot to me is is i feel like he might be overdoing it a little bit in this one and it seems like the critics at least the critics that i've seen it so far agree with that and as of right now for rotten tomatoes reviews came out on friday for people that saw screenings in london for this movie and as of right now not bad, but for Christopher Nolan's standards as of right now, still an okay 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. And this is the critic consensus that comes out for Tenet. And it says, a visually dazzling puzzle for film lovers to unlock. Tenet serves up all the cerebral spectacle audiences expect from a Christopher Nolan production. And it sounds like everything that we know about Christopher Nolan, again, the spectacle, the action, the the effects, the practical stuff, everything about it is bold and incredible and moves filmmaking to an advanced level that we all know and always wants to do with his movies. But it sounds like the plot is, is a little bit too much for him to handle. And when we know Nolan... 
again, Inception, the way that he's able to handle that in a way is incredible. And the fact that even though the, some of the plot is convoluted and a little complex, he's able to keep you in it with with still being able to kind of keep it basic in terms of, of the outline. And, and again, comparing it to, to a drawing, the outline of it you're able to get, but when you color in some things, it can get a little confusing, but he's still able to keep you in it because you know the basic plot of what's going on. You just don't really know the inner workings, but you can still come back to it and you can still enjoy it because of the characters and the action and the, and the stakes that are involved with it. He's able to keep other values that you love about a movie, his movie, that you want to go back and say, I didn't, I didn't really fully understand the plot, but I really like the movie enough and other aspects that I want to come back and, and figure this stuff out. I think the same thing can happen with Interstellar, which is, I think, where I'm gearing, I think, more towards where I'm going to feel about this movie. And again, I haven't seen this movie yet, but the way that I felt about Interstellar is I feel like the way that people are feeling about Tenet right now, where I loved the the production design, I loved the basic plot of what we were doing with, with Interstellar, the, the, the visuals were just stunning and gorgeous, and the direction of Nolan was incredible. But sometimes it was just too much of a of a dump, a, a, a plot dump on you, an exposition dump of a lot of these uh, of these fancy words as physicists and science and space exploration that it, it was a little too big for itself sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. And I feel like that's what we're going to get with this new Nolan movie is that it's, it's going to be a lot of these bold ideas, which I, I want him to go for, but it might just be a little bit in over his head a little bit for the audience to catch up with that. So I think that's where I'm going with it. Or it could end up like Inception where it's a little complicated, but people like a lot of the other aspects, the characters, the, the stakes, the action, and the basic structure of the, of the film is followable enough. It's just everything in the inner workings that you need to draw in, in between the lines is what people need to come back for. So it could go either way. But again, 82%, that's nothing to sneeze at. It's still a really good score for anybody, anybody. Anyone who follows Rotten Tomato would kill to have an 82%. And so for Nolan, I mean, unless I think more if more people go see it, if they feel comfortable enough, the film could go, could go down and be one of his lowest ones, like an Interstellar, a Dark Knight Rises. But I think this is going to be one that stays in the 80s, could go down to the lower, not the lower, but the high 70s. But I, I think it's going to stay in this area. And again... <laughs> Even high 70s, low 80s, it's still a good score for any director. So, I'm again, I'm still really excited about this. It looks incredible. I'm pumped. I'm excited to see John David Washington, Robert Pattinson in this, and to kind of see the two different characters that he's going to be playing between this and what he's going to be betraying as Bruce Wayne in The Batman is exciting. So, I'm all for this. I'm into this, and I cannot wait to see Tenet. What do you guys think about this trailer? And the reviews for Ten, and also real quick, I want to talk about the plan, the the Travis Scott song, and this is something that came out last week that I was shocked about because I, again, the collaboration between Travis Scott, Christopher Nolan, Ludwig Gorsen, you just would never expect it. And I guess at this point, if last week and this past weekend has taught us anything, is always expect the unexpected about everything, and or really this year has taught us anything is is, is expect the unexpected, and. 
the the song I thought was really good. I, I thought it had the influence of Travis Scott. You could hear that techno music that you could see Ludwig Gorison collaborating with Travis Scott on, and I think it's a really good bop. It's a really really good bop. And hey, if they play that loudly in an IMAX theater, surround sound, or or Dolby Cinema. I will, I will love it, every single aspect of it, and I will be bopping into it. I don't think it's going to be playing during the film, but at the end credits, I will wait to hear it bop out of it as I leave the theater. So I enjoyed it, and it's something that I think I've listened to on repeat. And if I listen to something on repeat a lot, it means I enjoy it. That means I really like it. So I really do like this Travis Scott, and it fits in to, I think, even when you hear the beats, it fits into to what Tenet is and to what Nolan's, I think, sound design, what he likes his sound design to be in these kind of films, that it, it, it grew on me, and I really did enjoy it. And again, something you wouldn't expect, a combination of Christopher Nolan, Travis Scott, and Ludwig Gorson collaborating together, but it seems to have worked really, really well. So what do you guys think about the Travis Scott song, the movie, the reviews? Let me know and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I want to get into today is away from the news. That's it for movie news, but it's going to stick with Christopher Nolan. And because I wasn't on the Sam Bissell podcast on Friday, I have two movie reviews to make up on going into our Nolan flashback in anticipation for Tenet, which is coming out in theaters internationally on August 26th this weekend, or really in in a few days from now. Today is the 24th, so on Wednesday, Tenant will be rolling out for people to see, and it'll be coming out on September 3rd for people to see here in the United States. So I want to talk about two Nolan films today, two of his earlier films before he got into Batman, before he got into Inception, and that is Memento and Insomnia, and those the two back-to-back films that he made in the last few years. And the first one is really a Nolan classic that is a, a phenomenal film, one of really Nolan's greats when you take into account everything that, he's, that he has made since Memento. It really was Nolan's first, his indie, the one that really kind of broke him into the film industry, that got people to notice him and was really became a darling in, in cinema. And that was Memento with, with Guy Pearce, Carrie Ann Moss. And it, it's, it's just an incredibly different take on the noir thriller of this guy who has short-term memory and he tries to find the the murderer of his wife. And every time that he, he sleeps or he closes his eyes, he loses the memory of what happened the previous day. So he has to write down all these clues and he has to figure every day out like it's a new one. So to kind of and peel everything back behind the layers is incredible. But what makes the film so remarkable and and such a landmark, and what we've seen in Nolan films to come since then, is his playing on time. And that the fact that the beginning of the film really is the ending of the movie, and we kind of see everything kind of take place in the ending. So we kind of see everything playing out, and then we see things play out in in the past. So it's playing with the past and the present and collides for this great finale that nobody really kind of sees coming. And the way that he's able to use color and saying that black and white is the present, the past is in color. So you're kind of getting these two dichotomies together, these two characters and trying to putting the pieces in your own way as of right now. So I, I think this is kind of a incredible it's an incredible movie it's one of my favorite Nolan films not not my favorite we all know what my favorite Nolan films are but it's a great movie it's one that if you're a cinephile fan if you're a fan of Nolan's I highly recommend it's really his first major film that when you think of Nolan you think more about the Dark Knight and Inception now but the ones that are 
are the ones that you really cinephiles will think about also is Memento and, and what he did with that movie on an indie budget. And then after that, he really became well known in the industry that Warner Brothers picked him up for another film, and, and that is Insomnia. And that really began his relationship with studios with Al Pacino, Robin Williams. It's one of his, again, lesser known films that isn't as popular. It's an okay movie. It's about a detective trying to hunt down a serial killer. That's the basic plot of it, but there's a lot of other underlining tones with insomnia that I think play really, really well into what Nolan does with time and with kind of the concept of, of lies. And and I think he does a really good job with this movie. It has some great Nolan concepts to it. It, it, it. You have that gorgeous cinematography, great performances from the late, great Robin Williams, from Al Pacino. So this is one that... I, I definitely can recommend, again, not one of his more more popular ones, but one that I think if you're looking at Nolan's filmography, if you look at everything leading up to Batman Begins the Dark Knight, this is one to definitely check out, along with Memento. And if I had to recommend one or the other, definitely Memento, and definitely treat yourself to what really made, put Nolan on the map before Batman did that, and that would be Memento. What did you guys think about these two movies? If you have seen them, are you going to check them out? Again, my recommendations for this edition of the Nolan Flashback is Memento and Insomnia. And with that, guys, that will be it for this edition of the Samba Cell Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Along the way, check out these other shows that are on the Podcast Solutions such as Wrestle Addict Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at RealAmbiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, make sure to follow me on social media when you get a chance. You can find me on Twitter at Pastel Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Thank you guys again so much, and until next time, keep on screening.